Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm a feminist, but the way my sons talk to me sometimes makes me feel like an abused waiter at a TGI Fridays. <laughs> I've actually recently found myself on my hands and knees with two bits of broken biscuit. Uh, just trying to cement it back to Mama put Mama put the biscuit back together for my little special boys. Mama loves it with special boys, put the biscuit back together. Do you know what I've realised? I've realised that if a grown man talked to me the way my sons do, I would look at him and go, talk to me like that again, mate, and I will chop it off. <laughs> I will chop it off and wear it as a bloody earring. <laughs> but I think I might be part of the problem. That's what I'm saying. I'm a feminist, but the other night I had a premiere in Leicester Square for my film Say My Name. <laughs> oh, oh, Debra, you're so accessible. And... <laughs> And while I was very proud to present the work and we had a Q&A, what was most exciting, I genuinely got a visceral thrill by this. The paparazzi turned up to take the red carpet pictures and by midnight that night, we were in the Daily Mail sidebar of shame. <laughs> and I got a visceral thrill because it was so funny because the story was Connie Huck, who was doing brilliantly, turned up to ask the questions at the Q&A, had worn black trousers and a white shirt. That was the story. And you know how the Daily Mail goes, she's teamed, she's teamed, black towels as And then the rest of it, with loads of pictures of us on the red carpet and same money in the film, great, 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 all great publicity for the film. The rest of it was all about how Connie Huck was married to a man and what that man had said on Desert Island Discs. The whole article was about Charlie Brooker. <laughs> and I could not stop laughing that my film premiere, which the whole thrust of it was written by a woman, produced by a woman, strong female lead, the whole thrust of it was that. The Daily Mail wrote a full article about Charlie Brooker, <laughs> who wasn't even there. 
I could not stop. I was so happy. I felt like we have made it. We are in the sidebar of entertainment shame on the Daily Mail website and the articles about Charlie Brooker. And there's me in my plunging V-neck dress. I'm genuinely thrilled. Well, I think you should get some sort of award for that. It was like masochism. It was like, it was a masochistic thrill. I'm a feminist, but... Someone approached me after a show and asked if they could have a selfie, and I said, yeah, because I'm very accessible. (laughs) And she said, listen, is it... If I take this photo, would you mind if I put it on social media? And I said, sure. Sure, 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 sure. Go for it. So she took the photo, and she showed it to me, and she said, is it all right if I put that on social media? And I looked at it and thought, I look like a cadaver. Who's had all the blood drained from my body and replaced with formaldehyde? I didn't say that. I went, oh, um, well, you know, take another one. <laughs> and she said, yeah, sure, sure, great, great. Let's have another one. So we had another one, and I looked at it, and she went, can I stick that on there? And I thought, I've got that weird chicken neck thing going. You know that your, your neck sort of does the chickeny thing, and you're like, I've got, have I got a chick, have I got a chicken neck. And I went, do you, which is just. Just try another one. <laughs> she said, yeah, great. Yeah, let's do another one. So we did another one. And she said, what did you think of that one? And I just thought, I couldn't say no. I was like, yeah, stick that up. I look horrific. <laughs> and I feel embarrassed to admit that I untagged myself when she put it on. T- oh. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. We've all done it. I'm a feminist, but this week I went on Politics Live and there were five women on the panel and only one man, but that man was Tom Harwood. And Tom Harwood describes himself on his own website as a journalist, commentator and digital media producer. (laughs) And it says he offers a valuable insight into youth issues and the future of the conservative movement. Now, he was the only person on the panel who was very sure what feminism was and how we should all be doing it. I was asked on this panel, was Theresa May a feminist? And I said, I don't think her policies are feminist. I'm not the Santa Claus of feminism. I can't go around going naughty nice. That is not my my job to point at people and say they're not feminists. Obviously, the headline they've gone with is, Theresa May is not a feminist, says Deborah Francis White. And to be fair, at some point, I was pushed... I did say that. Um, She's not. I then made this gesture while he was talking, because he talked longer about feminism than anyone. So I ended up just accidentally making a gesture to camera like this. So that then got picked up on Twitter, because I'm just looking at the camera going... Having your while a man moment. talks about feminism. And to be fair, it got picked up by Twitter largely because Kelly, who runs the Guilty Feminist Twitter account, tweeted it. <laughs> I did retweet it. With the tagline that said, a man explains feminism to Deborah. (laughs) And this has taken off. What's delighted me is that Tom Harwood got upset about this and tweeted me and said, hi, Deborah, instead of a still, how about the video struggling to see here where man explains feminism? And he attached a clip from the video where he explains feminism. (laughs) And so I wrote back and said, just a joke, Tom. It seemed funny that the person who was the most certain about feminism on a panel of women was a man. I will say to you what is always said to women in these situations, have a sense of (laughs) humour. And he wrote back, right, with lots of eyes in the right. 
If you could let me know where I was so certain about feminism, I'd be very grateful. Cute cover photo, by the way, kiss, kiss. Because by this point, I admittedly had made this picture of me going like that. My cover photo. I wrote back and said, you were extremely sure of your opinions on feminism, which you presented as fact. It was fine. It's not uncommon. Someone else tweeted the pic, not me. I just joked about it. But I felt the tone of the show was good-natured and you had a sense of humour. Am I wrong? He wrote back, not sure I was certain about feminism, literally prefaced my answer to Joe's question with, it depends what you mean by feminism, doesn't it? And then he defined it in a number of ways. The show was lovely, just a little confused about the post-hoc spin. Post-hoc spin. And I wrote back, it's not spin, it's just what the women who tweeted me thought when they watched it. Women get talked down to a lot, and I think you got more airtime on feminism than any of the other women on the panel, except me, because I had an interview at the top and was my only segment. Having said that, some women on Twitter agreed with you, so cheer up. It's only jokes. It's only telly. It's only Twitter. (laughs) And basically, I realised what I had used was the you'd be prettier if you smiled defence against misogyny. (laughs) I'm a feminist. But recently in a cafe in Brighton, where I live, (laughs) after ordering a flat white with oat milk, uh, it's a very attractive waitress who worked there. She went into a really long monologue with a colleague about how dreadful eating meat is and how she was a vegan and how she couldn't understand why anyone wouldn't be a vegan now, particularly when, you know, with global warming and methane gas and all of that, blah, blah, blah. So talking about how the planet was literally on the brink of disaster. And I, on... Hearing that, as I approached the counter, I I ordered a vegan breakfast, and she asked me, so, you know, how long have you been vegan for? And I said, well, um, six years. (laughs) And she said, "Um, that's amazing, because I've only actually been a vegan for a year. And I said, yeah, well, you'll find it just becomes a way of life. Oh! What? Yeah, I'm not vegan. <laughs> I like cheese too much. Who doesn't like cheese? I'm, on? I'm a feminist, but I accidentally typed Tom Harwood's name as Tom Hardwood. And now that's what I secretly call him in my head. Because I'm incredibly childish. If you're listening, Tom Hardwood... And I know that you're not, because this podcast is about feminism. Except you are, because someone told you, I talked about you, and you can't help yourself because you're a narcissist. (laughs) So now you are listening to it. You are... I mean, I think narcissist is probably unfair. I don't know that. (laughs) Self-centred. You are listening. And Tom, look, it was good fun, but you did mansplain feminism to me, and you deserve everything you get on Twitter. (laughs) You've had ten thousand years of domination Tom and you were born one year too late bad luck fair live from King's Place in London the spontaneity shop presents the guilty feminist with me Deborah Francis White guest co-host Jen Brister and our very special guests Dolly Alderton and Kima Bob talking about shame This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Jen Brister, and we're talking about shame! (laughs) 
I feel that shame is guilt not expelled, carried in the body like luggage. Yeah, it's weird how you can feel shame about something that you're like, why do I feel shame about that? 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 Why? 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 You know, uh, uh, we were going to talk, rather you didn't want to talk, but I'm going to make you talk about... What? Hang on, just Where's this going? It's going somewhere dark. It isn't. It's fun times. Um, (laughs) Celebrities. Yeah. Things that you say to us, and you're like, I can't talk about it because it's going to make me look like a wanker. Well... I want you to look like a wanker, so tell okay. me this story. When we have our private chats backstage, Jen, I like to make them public. That is <laughs> what we've realised. No, I just said... <laughs> we can edit it out, but let's just hear the story. <laughs> I never would have said the name. I just said a, a, a famous American actress. There's no need for saying the name. Oh, my God. Well, you are not trusted with anything else. <laughs> to be fair, if Selinsky told me that... Oh, so. God, stop. So, a famous American actress, let's pretend we don't know. Fuck. (laughs) This is all done. Okay. The reason I didn't want to tell you about it is because when I started this podcast, I never got invited to anything fancy. And the longer it goes on, the fancier and fancier things I get invited to. But I sometimes think when you're listening to comedians, you know, when they're just sort of like, oh, when I was at the bus stop, oh, isn't it funny how people queue up and they're all queuing up for different buses? Relatable. And then, then they're Michael McIntyre living in fucking Primrose Hill with four cars in the driveway and they start going, oh, when your limo driver's late, eh, eh, eh? And you think, no, I don't know. And you're a wanker now. And you get distance from it. And I think because this is a feminist show, I think, does anyone want to hear my fucking show business party story? Yeah. Not... Okay, I was wrong. They're all as vacuous I mean, as I am. That's, that's all we want to know. Or should I start with mine, which is really dull? Thank you. Okay. You know uh, when you get drunk and you think, I'm a lot of fun. <laughs> People are going to want to spend time with this guy. Yeah? Okay, so it turns out I'm not. I'm just a dick. I was at one of the many... At the Edinburgh Festival, they have these um, bars which are just for the performers, the artist bars, and they're horrific. Every now and again, I go, go to one, and they're always awful. Awful. Um, awful. Just people looking above your uh, head. And over your shoulder. Snorting coke off your shoes and stuff like that. <laughs> Not my shoes, someone's shoes. Re- I mean, literally I t- reading their five-star reviews at you. Yeah. Oh, I, I read your review in the... Mm, I'm so sorry. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> anyway, so I'm at one of these... Heady places. And who should be in there? Who should be in there? But Paloma Faith. And I... (laughs) Okay, you can... I'm a feminist, but that in just a second, okay? It's a women's space for women who love women. Now, get out. You Um, can't heckle people who aren't here. Now, listen, you can't say that. Um, (laughs) So anyway, and I'm not saying that because I don't actually have an opinion, but I was just excited to see her. I was like, fun, fun times. So I did that thing that you do... I don't know if other people, if you've ever done that, where you go up to someone when you're drunk and you're like, tell them their name. (laughs) (laughs) You're... You're flow of faith. (laughs) She's like, yeah. And then she gave me a look and I thought, if looks could kill, I would actually be dead. And that look still wakes me up at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know you get those three a.m. go, oh my God, I told Paloma Faith her name. Oh God. 
all right. I seriously wasn't going to say this because I think, you know, I went to a party. I don't have a great drive to go up and meet famous people. Like, what am I going to say? It's always a bit awkward. But if I do meet famous people, I very rarely weird or starstruck or something like that. Normally, I'm just like, oh, hello, lovely to meet you, big fan. You know, I'm very charming, actually, to famous people. <laughs> I'm a delight with famous people. You don't tell them their name? No. Someone said, oh, is here. I was like, oh, well, that's nice for her. She's here, I'm here. I like it. Nice for her. I don't, I'm here as well. No, no, no. <laughs> This is definitely not going in the podcast. This is why it's worth coming out to the live shows, because we say all sorts of shit that's absolutely getting cut out. So... So Don't cut this out. No, I'm 100% cutting this out. So, <laughs> so, anyway, I was walking past a comedian who also has made an independent film, and I'd invited him to come and see my independent film, and he hadn't got back to me. And I thought, that's weird, because I know that he's the kind of guy that firstly would get back, and secondly, you know, he loves to see other comedians' films sort of thing. So, as I was walking by, he was talking to somebody, a couple, and they had their backs to me. And so I just put through and said, hey did you get an invitation to my film? And he said, no, I didn't. I said, I had a premiere. And he said, oh, I didn't know. And I said, well, I definitely invited you. And I, to, you know when you're sort of determined to prove it? So I pulled up my phone and I showed him that I had. I said, look, here's the invitation. And he said, oh, well, maybe that's not my number. I've been in America. So I started, I made him get out his phone, show me the number, compare, compare. I was like, oh, taking all of this time. And then I sort of thought, oh, I haven't really introduced myself to the people he's with who were just standing there like lemons. And so I turned to the right and realised it was <laughs> And so I, I mean, you knew where that was going. And I just went, oh, and I felt so embarrassed because I thought he's probably having a wonderful moment. And here I come up to not just to interrupt, but to tell him he has rudely not replied, which I, I hadn't said he was rude, but the implication was there. And, <laughs> and I was making him prove which number it was. And I was, I was doing loads of admin while she stood there next to her very handsome husband. And so I just looked at her and I felt so embarrassed. I just went, you're very famous. <laughs> that is worse. I don't think I know who you are, but you're famous, aren't you? Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. And she was so charming. She said, I want to come to your independent film. Please invite me. I said, oh my God, that's so lovely. She said, I'm moving to Britain. I said, well, I'd love you to do my podcast. She said, oh, I'd love to do your podcast. And told me how to get in touch with her. She couldn't have been more charming. And then I walked away just devastated, but also thinking, what a charming woman. Walked over, met Ed Miliband. He said, he said oh, I love your podcast. It's this feels revelation. like a cheese dream, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> too much cheese and you're like he said, and I'm at Ed Miliband and then there was some spaghetti coming out my nose oh. he then said he then said and if you're not from here he was the leader of the Labour Party and I said oh well I like your podcast too I've only ever listened to one episode but obviously you've got to say that if someone says they like your podcast you can't not say you like theirs so I said I like your podcast too and he said I said I had someone asked me to do it one of your bookers asked me to do it he said oh I'd love to have you on it was going terribly well and then I said what's your main job now <laughs> And that's the laughter from the people in the audience who know that Ed Miliband is still an MP. I mean, if this doesn't make the po- I mean, I'm just... That and I should said, make the podcast. Oh, fucking hell. And I said, I'm so sorry, of course you are. Of course you are. I don't know what made me say that. And he said, no, no one knows I'm an MP. I get asked all the time. <laughs> he said, that's what happens in politics. You go out of the limelight and suddenly you're a backbencher again and everyone thinks you've resigned. I said, well, the Tories always do resign if they lose a posh job. I forget that Labour MPs stick around. <laughs> 
that wasn't helpful. And just stick around on the back bench, wasting their time when they could have a job doing something productive was what he heard. Working for a pharmaceutical company. It's clearly what he heard because he then said, anyway, it's past my bedtime, I better go. And I thought, yeah, he was just leaving the party. Fair play, fair play. Someone's got to be the last person you talk to at a party, I thought. An hour later, I saw him there. just got into another in- series of interesting conversations and it happens. I told people I was leaving and half an hour later I was still trying to get out the door. That's possible. Or he just made an excuse to get away from the woman who asked what's your main job now? <laughs> Shame. 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 But none of that is as bad as the time that I met I wish I could tell you who it was, but I mustn't. A very famous actor in this country. Oh, this can't go on the podcast. Colin Firth. Younger. And I said... (laughs) I introduced myself charmingly, reminding him that I'd met him before. It wasn't Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston? No, because sometimes I go on about Tom Hiddleston, but it wasn't him. (laughs) I introduced myself to a young actor, and very charmingly, I thought reminded him where he'd met me before. Since we'd hung out together, he'd become famous. So I said, oh, I remember you. We once had a lovely night together back in the day at this nightclub. (laughs) Not like that. Not like that. I charmingly reminded him when he'd last fucked me. No, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) I am nothing if not a bastion of etiquette. So I charmingly reminded him that we'd had a lovely night drinking together we'd ended up sort of you know mostly the two of us just having a long chat contextualizing myself i think that's a lovely thing to do because it's you know when you meet someone out of context it's a lovely thing to do to remind them who you are yeah he's gone and gotten more famous and he looked blank and said i don't remember now i told him everything he needed to know all he had to say was oh yeah he didn't need to put he just said i don't remember you so I, again... Who is this prick? I, again, charmingly said, oh, don't worry, we'd all had so much <laughs> that night, I'm surprised any of us could remember anything. Now, that's very charming, I think. That's very charming. <laughs> because I'm making an excuse for him for getting me. He then said, I don't do drugs. Oh. And I was like, no, he definitely had. So I said... He was on very famous... Is this t- your natural face? <laughs> he was, yeah. <laughs> famous television show at this point and so I knew that he did do drugs so I said oh god I rarely if ever do drugs I can't put this out on the internet can I? Uh, I rarely if ever do drugs but... We've done 20 minutes none of which we can put out on the internet <laughs> I said I rarely if ever do a drugs. Very short episode. It was a real one off for me and he said I don't do drugs and I said oh I'm sure I'm probably misremembering probably it was other people who did drugs and he said I don't do drugs. And I was like, oh, anyway, God. I then thought, just change the subject, just get out of this cul-de-sac. So I said, well, I'm so delightful to see how well you're doing and I'm really enjoying your performances. A friend of mine directed you recently, said how wonderful you were. And he said, I don't do drugs. <laughs> and I said, I'm sure you don't. Anyway, isn't it wonderful how this is happening for you and this is happening for you? And he said, I don't do drugs. And then I looked into his eyes and realised he was so hard. <laughs> on I was like, oh my God. And he thinks I'm from the Daily Mail. 
and we're both in this sort of showbiz party and he thinks I am going to write a story and I'm trying to get him to confess. I'm not. I'm trying to get him off the subject and all he said to me for 10 minutes, no matter what I said, was I don't do drugs. It was so awful. So I just backed away that I just thought, I'm free to leave, actually. I just thought, I'm free to leave. It hadn't occurred to me I could walk away before this. But when he came up, I thought, I'm not dealing with that because he's... He's known to be not very charming. So I just walked away, went over to another friend, and I went, I've just had this terrible conversation with famous actor. And I said, he said, I don't do drugs, I don't do drugs. She went, he does do drugs. He goes to Burning Man every year. He's the druggiest drug in the whole drug. And I went, I know. <laughs> but he's so scared. And I still get the chills from that. I still get, because it's just being in this terrible loop with somebody. That was excruciating. But, I mean, that was him. Wasn't it? I mean, you can put a lot of that on him, yes. whereas with me going, oh, you blow my face. Like, oh, no, that's you, yeah. love. That is 100% no, you. sure. But because I'm a woman, I have been trained since birth to feel awkwardness is my fault, must be managed by me, never instigated by me, and always killed by me. Awkwardness is my job. Yeah. Especially if I'm with a man. If you're in a group of men and you say something, what I've noticed, if you're in a green room with a group of like male comedians and they're all like, <laughs> that, that's what they sound like in my head. That's not how they sound. <laughs> Just trying to tune in to your voices. I, you want to join in with? You don't want to join in with the banter, but you you might say something and you'll be like, this is this is funny. This is gonna be really funny. And then um, you say it, and then they go. And you're like, oh, I just want the floor to swallow me up. But it was funny. Whatever I said, it was funny. <laughs> but there's that moment yeah. where you go, oh, I'm not allowed in that banter thing. Whatever it is that you're doing, I'm, I've got to be the person that smiles and laughs at your jokes. Yeah, that is very much So this the is my smile face. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening at home, Jen is not smiling. <laughs> Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah briefly interrupting your podcast to let you know the Guilty Feminist is playing the Royal Albert Hall, the actual big Royal Albert Hall on the 7th of July. It's an afternoon performance, so people outside London will be able to get trains and get home for the evening. Tickets start at only £10 and they are available now if you go to guiltyfeminist.com. It is going to be a lineup like no lineup you've ever seen from the Guilty Feminist before. If you've enjoyed a tour show, Get in, book tickets for the Royal Albert Hall because it's going to be absolutely spectacular. Guilty Feminist producer and straight white man, but some of my favourite husbands are straight white men, including him. Tom Selinsky has written a fantastic play about the whole Brexit mess. When it was on at the Edinburgh Fringe last year, the Times called it hilarious and the Scotsman called it wonderful. I called it truly fabulous. It's now coming back to the King's Head in Islington for four weeks from the 11th of June with a new cast, including guilty feminist favourites Jessica Foster Q and Margaret Caborn Smith. You'll be able to see them up close in the flesh doing proper acting. This is really a wonderfully funny play and you can get tickets now by going to kingsheadtheatre.com. Now, the Guilty Feminist is teaming up with Amnesty International to bring back the legendary Secret Policeman. This show started in the 1970s with Monty Python and has been one that has featured comedy greats every decade since. We are bringing a diverse and incredible lineup to the Hackney Empire for the Secret Policeman's tour on Wednesday, the 5th of June. 
On the bill, you will see Francesca Martinez, Juliette Stevenson, Sindhu V, Desiree Birch, Funbi Omateo, Grace Petrie, Jess Foster Q, Alison Spittle, Kima Bob, Ophelia Loverbond, Sophie Duca, and Siobhan McSweeney, who plays Sister Michael in The Dairy Girls. Go to hackneyempire.co.uk for tickets. And if you've enjoyed the tour shows, lots of our comedians are touring their solo shows and coming to a theatre near you soon. If you were in Brighton last night and saw the wonderful Sophie Duca, she's at Sweet at the Welly doing a work-in-progress show for her new Edinburgh show, Venus, on the 1st and 2nd of June. Get tickets now. And if you're going up to the Edinburgh Fringe, there are three Guilty Feminist shows at the Pleasance Grand and a Secret Policeman's tour show too. Go to edfringe.com and check those out too. And also, the Guilty Feminist book is out in paperback and includes two new interviews, one with Hannah Gadsby and one with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Pick it up now. And now, back to the podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Our guests today are the author of the book, Everything I Know About Love, out now in paperback with a new chapter on Everything I Know at 30. This book has been on the Sunday Times bestseller list for so long. It is an absolute phenomenon. And also a comedian that you know and love, who's a Guilty Feminist regular. Please welcome to the stage the spectacular Dolly Alderton and Guilty Feminist favourite, Kima Bob! Alderton, everybody loves your book. It's a delightful, delightful book, and Thank it's you. very confessional. What drove you to want to talk about shame? I think writing a first-person memoir. I really resist use of the word confessional, actually, because I've realised over a period of time of talking about it as a confessional book, the kind of subtext of that is that there was a sin that was committed <laughs> that I'm confessing to the world. Oh, that's um, a good point. So we shouldn't say confessional because yeah. it sounds like 
You've done yeah. something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and to be fair, a lot of my one-star Amazon reviews do think that. <laughs> um, You've got many more five-star reviews, though. It's a phenomenal book, and it's, it's been a big hit. You're now doing live tours. You've been playing the Palladium and stuff because of this book. People love this book. Thank you. But it has been a bit of a kind of immersion experience in resisting shame because the kind of things that I'm writing about, I think it's so gendered with how we allow women and how we allow men to kind of feel free and have fun and have supposed transgressions and then write them up. I know I shouldn't admit to this. I really do comb through the one-star Amazon reviews on Nights of Insomnia. Do you? Yeah. Oh, don't pick don't that spot. Don't, don't, to don't pick it. It's easier to remember the bad things. Of course. But my favourite, most shaming one that is kind of tattooed on the underside of my mind is someone who wrote, the drinking and the shagging has got to stop. <laughs> Wow. Was that your mum? Did your mum leave that review? <laughs> Sounds like the drinking and the shagging hasn't started for somebody else. Yeah. I love the idea of like this like cyber therapist who just reads people's books and then goes into their comments and gives them unsolicited <laughs> advice. <laughs> that sounds great. But I mean, what would they say to Charles Dickens? Yeah. I wanted to know, no one's saying the drinking and the shagging has got to stop on Keith Richards' memoir, and I'm not saying that I'm the female version, but maybe I am. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, though. When it's a lad, it's like, oh, it's so rock and roll. And when it's a woman, it's like, oh, you need to tone that back now. It's all right to have a misspent youth, but, you know... As soon as you hit a certain age as a woman, you then... Yeah, you've got to wind it in, haven't you? You have to wind it in, or society will judge it. And of course you don't have to, and some people never do, but it's harder to sustain it shamelessly. Uh, do you manage your shame? Do you think, have you learnt, have you grown? Have you, is, was the book therapy, or do you do therapy? Have you learnt to manage your shame that you think is imposed upon you by the society? I think it's something I still struggle with, to be totally honest. I've just written a column about something that I call I'm in trouble syndrome, which I only kind of identified recently that I sort of always move through the world. And I think this is by dint of being female, sadly. Constantly feeling like, you know, when you go to an airport and suddenly when you go through the security gates, you're like, oh, have I accidentally packed 10 kilos of heroin? And... Um, <laughs> And a Every gun, I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's never not there. <laughs> you should remember your mum's in the audience, Keena, just to be very clear. Dude, there's not much. Your mum's not going to let you pack her bag on the way back, is she? She's like, I'll pack my own bag, Keema. There's not a lot of shame between us, okay? <laughs> All my favourite vibrators have been gifts from this woman. Oh. Really? Oh, my God, that's amazing. Wow. I read a tweet that you tweeted, so I assume it's fair huh. game to talk about because it it's already on the internet. It's in the ether. It's yeah, <laughs> that you said that what, something your mum said to Nish Kumar. So uh, uh, I got this cool opportunity to open for Nish Kumar, which is super dope because my mum's never seen me do comedy before, so I was really relieved that she got to see it in a cool space and not in a creepy basement because if you guys have been to London comedy, you know it happens everywhere. <laughs> And we were, like, talking about that movie Vice, which is about, like, George Bush's pregnant pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that George Bush's film. pregnancy um, as president. Um, and his, his vice president, um, <laughs> who's called Dick Cheney. And my mom goes to Nash, hmm, didn't see the movie. Hmm, and I like Dick, but Cheney not so much. <laughs> 
What? I no love shame. that your mum's like that because you're not raised with shame then. Do you feel you were raised with shame, Dolly? Okay, so just as a contrast to that. Uh, <laughs> everyone's mum isn't like that. <laughs> uh, my mother came across my bullet vibrator when I was 16. It's sort of the gateway drug for many women. <laughs> Nan Summers, it was my first one. Don't want to get too misty eyed nostalgic about it. And um, the reason I know that she found it is when I came up to my bedroom, it was on my bed in a sock. Oh, wow. <laughs> How had she found it? Was she tidying she'd your room? She it for you. She was you. tidying it and she decided to sheathe it passive aggressively. So I also knew that she was aware it was there. Oh. But maybe was... she was just like, okay, so I don't want any dust to settle on it. I'll put it in a sock. I think it was a coded message to use a condom. Oh, perhaps. Uh, did you never talk about it with her? No, we didn't have that many conversations about it. My mum's very progressive, uh, despite the sock incident. Um, <laughs> and she's very liberal. But I think I carry quite a lot of shame around sex. And I think even in the most progressive households, that is so kind of... When it comes to teaching young women about their sexuality... It's so cultural and deep-rooted and biblical and inherited and epigenetic and traumatic. I think even with the best intentions, girls are raised often to still feel very dirty and ashamed and messy and weird about sex. Mm. An example that I always think about is that in my family home, I was told my boyfriend could never stay in my bedroom. So even boyfriends of, like, two years couldn't stay in my bedroom. And then the night that my little brother brought a girl back for the very first time, she stayed in his bedroom. And I know that sounds like a small, petty thing, and my God, did I chew over this fact with my therapist for many an hour, (laughs) and subsequently my mum. But that does send a pretty traumatic message to a young woman, I think. Mm. I think it's the idea of protecting women. Like, men can go out and forge their own lives and they have agency and they can do, make choices. But women, we're not allowed to make the same active choices that we need to be protected from ourselves. Yes. And, and, and even if people don't believe that um, we need to be protected from ourselves, we need to be protected from men because mm-hmm. men can't be trusted. Can I ask the panel, what are you not ashamed of that society tells us we should be ashamed of? What's your best shamelessness? I think... For me, it would definitely have to be deciding to find a solution to the guilt I felt um, about the adult entertainment that I was consuming. I said, how can I fix this? Um, And the answer has been white male on white male gay porn. (laughs) And and I probably should have more shame, but I know that no women, no women of color were harmed in the making of those films. Very true brings me a lot of peace. That is a... That is a... Your phenomenon amongst lesbians is watching gay male porn because for that very reason that it's sex, people are getting off, you can see people are getting off. Having a great time. And they're having a great time because you can see things are happening and so you don't feel like oh she's she's not look there's one in her eyeball no she's not enjoying that you know like it's you can feel like I can get off on this and I don't feel like I'm anyone's being exploited I mean I'm sure they are but yeah hey hey, guys we don't care about them I'm kidding I don't I mean obviously there can be exploitation but I think there's not the same feeling of physical upper body strength that one man couldn't push another man off I don't know what it is all I know is there probably should be a shame and there is not (laughs) 
<laughs> Jen, is there anything you're not ashamed of that you think society teaches you you should be? I suppose for me, it's body hair. I think I've been told to feel ashamed about that, and I just don't. Respect. Dolly, I, is there anything you should be ashamed of? I've got to shave my legs this afternoon, and I felt really joyful about it in the cab on the way here, because I thought, this is exactly the right space to not shave your legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Bring it. <laughs> I think that I have become less ashamed about wanting success and wanting to make money. I think I felt masses Ooh. and masses of shame about that for quite a long time. Oh, why? Because I think I felt like it was greedy or unfeminine, maybe. But I've had to kind of really deconstruct that, and I now feel totally, totally fine about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it starts coming in, you're like, oh, this feels good. I think we are conditioned not to be... You, I, I hear this from people a lot, though. They say, oh, she's very ambitious, and that's a pejorative, but he's very ambitious, never is. It's mm. so lame. Also, if she's very ambitious, it's like, oh, she's like a bit of a bitch, or she's going to do anything to get to the top or whatever. Mm. It's like if a guy's ambitious, just following his natural course of, you know, the natural progression of his career. Yeah. It's the same in comedy, isn't it? You know. I think I used to think I was just too much. Like, it just... You know, I could go to a party and I'd really be on and I'd be really funny and like mm. talking a million miles a minute, whatever. And I knew people were having a good time and people were laughing, but then I'd go away and I'd go, oh, that was too much, that was too much, I'm mm. too much. And I used to feel a lot of shame about being too much. Mm. And now I think I've channeled that by doing mm-hmm. comedy. Mm. And so I feel like, no, I'm the right amount. Deborah, yeah. you should never have a charisma hangover. Ever. It should never feel shame about that. Do you ever feel you're too much, though? Does anyone else feel that? Yeah, God, I always like, like if you go out, you know, you go out for a drink or for dinner with people, and then again, if you've had a drink, and then I, I wake up and I go, oh, what did I say? Um, oh, God, did, did I let anyone speak? Oh, am I just a dreadful human being? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I frequently have those. Uh... Does, nobody, does anybody else have that? Yeah. yeah. You're do saying you know? everybody thinks I'm a prick. I, do you know what? I don't have that. Do you know why? I've, all my friends did when we were you know, younger going out and drinking and stuff all my friends had it and the reason I don't have it is because I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness so from my teenage years to my early 20s I was a Jehovah's Witness and we didn't do anything so there was no drinking there was no smoking there was no drugs there was no sex so anytime even now to this day if I get smashed which I very rarely do but if I get smashed I wake up in the morning and go whoa you were like smashed and I was like which one and then you meant ingesting uh Substances. Just drugs. Oh, no, no. Yeah, drink, yeah, drink, yeah. drink, drink. Smash usually means drink. Cool, cool, cool. I thought you were telling Not ashamed. Now. I'm not ashamed. I listen um, to a lot of music with a lot of weird euphemisms. Uh. No, 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 no. So if I go out, it's British slang for pissed. Okay. So, which is not angry, it's drunk. Okay. So. It's so too much. If I wake up in the morning and I had too much to drink the night before, my first response is, not a Jehovah's Witness. Yes. <laughs> So I genuinely don't have shame because I don't associate it with an adolescence where, oh, how embarrassing, or what did I say, or did I have sex with someone I shouldn't have. I don't have those associations. I have the opposite associations, which is I'm a square, I'm a handmaid, mm. I'm a prude. And again, I've shaken off some of this shame of feeling like I'm ashamed that I got into a cult and a high-control group and how could I have fallen for that? And even though I was only 14, I used to carry a lot of shame. Like, people would judge me. I never wanted to tell anybody. And I have now gone, look, this is something that happened... It happens to lots of people. You're not stupid. All these you know? things shape you anyway. They make you who you are. And there shouldn't be shame about any of the things that we do, even if they are embarrassing or like, you know. I mean, I still have shame about us. When I was 14 and I was walking across the street and I was at school. You know when you're at school and you're doing your GCSEs or something and you've got like 
25,000 books in your bag. You've got a rucksack and you're just like, oh, girl, I've got triple biology and then fucking English. And you're carrying all these books. And I remember I was very insecure about the way I looked. Uh, I had a unibrow, you know, acne, closet mm. lesbian, but still mm. didn't know what was going on. There was this young guy in like a convertible car as I was crossing this zebra crossing. And in my head, I was like, he's looking at me. This guy is looking at me. And I was like, I couldn't get my head around it. So I was like looking at him going, he's looking at me. And I was looking at him and he was looking at me and he was smiling. And I, I was smiling. I thought, this is, um, is this what flirting is? Am I being flirting? And then I fell into a bin. Oh, <laughs> yep. Because I walked, it was one of those bins that was waist high, and, and I fell in, but, and I wouldn't have fallen in, but because of my rucksack, which was like full of books, it just, went, just carried me in Jeez. to the bin, and I had to crawl out. Jeez. It's pretty and humiliating. you still think about it? I still think about that, yeah. And that happened 30 years ago. Jesus. I think uh, he might still be thinking about it. Oh, yeah, he would, I'm sure. <laughs> And like, I mean, it was a really good floor show. He was yeah. laughing. People stopped in the street. They were laughing. I mean, that was my One first, time, was my first standing ovation. <laughs> I stunned her so hard. I smiled at her. I just smiled at her. Yeah, man, just smiled. She fell in a trash can. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. Like, then I laughed at her. Jeez. My most recent and the worst. Mm. Oh, this is so, this is, oh, it's, I don't even know if it's as bad as it feels. Uh, so please help me to determine. So there's like this guy, he's like a cute guy, right? I think he's like so cute. And like we ran into each other. I'm Pam, by the way. So whenever I think guys are cute, I'm always like, oh, this is so cool. And I'm just like, oh, you're going to like me back? Do dudes like me anymore? Anyway, so I'm like chatting with him and I'm like, oh, yeah, being like trying to be flirty, but also being awkward. Um, and he was like, oh, I'm going to go to this Japanese restaurant. And in my head, I was like, is that an invitation? At the same time, I'm thinking, is that an invitation? I was like, I don't know how to use chopsticks. Because I've been thinking about chopsticks a lot recently. Because my flatmate's from Singapore, and I want to know how to use them. But I don't want to ask him, because I feel like that's culturally insensitive. <laughs> it was a lot. And so I was having this whole thing. And he was like, do you like Japanese food? And I was singing all about the chopsticks. And I just go, I've heard of it. <laughs> It hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. Right now it hurts. I hear that. I hear that. Dolly, before we close with our musical segment, anything else to tell us about shame? Anything you feel ashamed about? Any reason to release ourselves from shame? Anything you want to tell us about your book? Anything at all? Um, I think everyone is quite rightly still thinking about, about the, the Japanese, Japanese story. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, 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 I eat any food. <laughs> yes, I eat Japanese. I eat any food. <laughs> um, do you know how to use chopsticks? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do know how to use chopsticks. I don't need this from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very aware that I do not want to shame you on that. No, no. I learned, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Because I wasn't going to let that happen. Happen again. <laughs> I was like, never again. Dolly Alton's book, Everything I Know About Love, in paperback, because you've got a new chapter, Everything I Know at 30. By 30, you've already written a Sunday Times bestseller. You're an amazing, amazing woman. Oh, thank you. No, that is a huge achievement. Huge, I'm huge achievement. I'm livid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can catch both Kima Bob and Jen Brister on the Guilty Feminist Tour. 
Factual. Um, and factual. And uh, is there anything else you want to plug before we close? Oh, totally. So, I kicked off the Films of Color Comedy Club, which can be found on Facebook. What is the Films of Comedy Club? It's simple. We have 100% no white males on stage guarantee, which Tom Selinski is totally <laughs> in violation. Violating. Comedy Club is 100% no white males on stage guarantee and it's cool and you can find us on Facebook and we're going to be at the Underbelly at South Bank and we're going to be at the Edinburgh Fridge and we need your support to show people that the perspectives of films of color matter. Woo! So check out Fuck It Up. Um, Jenny, have you got anything else to plug? Yes, quickly, I've got a book coming out. Won't need... I've got a book coming out and... Um, I've got a book coming out in, the se- in September, and it's called The Other Mother. It's about being the, the other mother, and um, it's very funny. Yeah. Yay! It's a funny book. You might like it. Anywhere else we can see you or anything? Do you want us to follow you or anything like that, Dolly? Uh, you can listen to my show. There. Am I allowed to talk about other podcasts? Yes. yes. Pollinate. Yeah, of course, we're a feminist podcast. No, bitch. <laughs> Don't, I will not have them listening to anything else. This is 24-7. <laughs> Their ears are opened up, as in Clockwork Orange, only all Every day is a Monday. Um, you can listen to my podcast, The Hilo, which is every Wednesday a news and pop culture podcast. I've been on that. It's great. Yeah, you're fab. Charity of the Week. Where's Charity of the Week? Good evening. My name is Mimi. I am a member of a Happy Babies community. We are a young charity without a big building, but with a huge hope. Hope for moms who have had to leave their homes, their families, and carry their babies, who have had to take long, horrible, and trafficking journey just looking for peace and hope. In 2018, the Happy Baby community provided support for more than 450 new mothers who have fled from the unimaginable horrors of being trafficked, tortured, or persecuted. These new mothers don't have their own mums, sisters, or friends to support them. They're alone with a new baby, living in London on £37.50 a week, quite invisible to most of us in our busy lives. Working with 25 other London charities, we provide professional support, including antenatal classes, psychological therapy and English lessons, and essential practical items, including baby clothes and buggies, hospital bags and sanitary pads. Most importantly, though, we provide a community where you don't have to share your story, but where you can share your ambitions for yourself and your baby and feel that you belong. What makes the Happy Baby community different to others is that we're now giving our members the opportunity to take on the leadership of the charity. We have 28 women training to be trustees, leaders, and community ambassadors. They have academic and professional skills and are committed to learning and leading. These resilient women are not going to accept being invisible. They are not going to allow their ambitions to go unnoticed. They are going to run this charity themselves to be one of the only human rights charities in the UK that is entirely led and run by its beneficiaries. A small donation of just £10 will enable one woman to attend one training session to become a leader. Please help us realize the ambitions of these brilliant women. You can text HAPPY BABY 
to 70085 to donate 10 pounds or donate through our website at happybabycommunity.org.uk or see one of our volunteers in white t-shirts in the lobby after the show. Thank you very much. Petrie, come to the mic and bring us home on our shame episode with your beer. Okay. Hello, guilty feminists. Okay, I've got some good shame for you. Is that good? Is that all right? Um, I enjoy Jen's story very much about not being vegan. Uh, have we got any vegans in? Yeah, never quite the same reaction you get in Brighton, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not vegan, but I am in love with a vegan. My girlfriend is vegan. And, uh, and if you haven't seen me before or know what I do, I'm basically a protest singer. I sing songs about politics with a view to trying to make the world a better place. I'm also a lesbian. Those two factors combined mean that people always assume I'm at least vegetarian. <laughs> at least. And I'm not. Not at all, you know, uh, I, uh, I see what I do, you know, people ask me if, if, if singing songs about politics is actually making any difference. My honest response to that is I don't know, right? I don't know if I am, I don't know if I can make a difference. I think I'm not the best singer in the world, I'm not the best guitarist in the world, but I think if I have any talent at all, it is that I have an ability to sort of articulate the struggle. That's what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to talk about the struggle in a way that hopefully makes other people feel less alone in their individual struggles. And honestly, being in love with a vegan is the most difficult struggle I've ever been through in my entire life. <laughs> So I wrote a song about being in love with a vegan and, uh, and it's called The Vegan Song. And there are, I should warn you, some very shameful, ideologically problematic confessions in this song. A fella in Cambridge hissed at me. Um, so, you know, if the mood takes you, feel free, guys. Well. I've never been good at recycling Sometimes I shove it all into the same bin <laughs> That used to be alright before the blue planet Now people just fucking hate me when they see, <laughs> see it in their eyes, you're a monster I've never been that good at recycling Sometimes, but not very often I shove it all into the same bin and I find me substitutes, they're just not the same thing. And I've got running shoes made by Nike. But baby, I, ever since I met you, when I'm in a restaurant and I'm looking at the menu, I find I'm noticing the options made with tofu. <laughs> Wondering what I could cook that you might like And I'll learn to live Without artificial additives If I could be The one who brings you tea in the morning Then I'll make it dairy free If it was me they got to make your tea in the morning Then I'll prose fine by me Oh darling, if you let me, I'll 
walk you down the free from aisle I would give it all to make you smile if you'd agree that I can be the one that makes your tea And I slag off, not row, sometimes just to annoy you. <laughs> but if the only milk I ever got to drink was... You know what you're doing. <laughs> it would be worth it all to share your fridge. And come what may, the winters and the summers. I know the hard times, they will never overcome us. And to work hard to always keep you in hummus <laughs> Would be my lifelong privilege And I'll learn to live Without artificial additives There's nothing I wouldn't give If I could be The one who brings you tea in the morning Then I'll make it dairy free to make your tea in the morning then I'll prose fine by me oh darling if you let me I'll get a solar panel trial I would give it all to make you smile if you'd agree that I can be the one that makes your tea Grace Petrie, everybody! The 
That's our show. We've been the guilty feminists. I've been Deborah Francis. Right. Good night. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host Jennifer Stan, our very special guest, Dolly Alderton. Pete Marbop, recording engineer was Chris Sharp, music was by Mark Hodge, the producer was Tom Salinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Jacob, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. And I realised. Ow! Pretend you've not heard this before. Could you just hit yourself in the head? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's only my temple lobe. Could you hit yourself in the head with a microphone? This is why women shouldn't do comedy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to use a knob. <laughs> so I realised I'd use the... You'd be pretty Hello, my name's Deborah Francis-White. Now, some of you may know me from the television and others of you may know me from the Guilty Feminist podcast. I'm a feminist, but true story, one time I was on a women's rights march, popped into a department store just to use the loo. When I was in there, got distracted trying out face cream, and when I came out, the march was gone. That's right, gang, my life is a paradox. I'm not perfect, uh, but I'm trying to get better, and I don't think we do have to be perfect to become a force for meaningful change. What makes me angry is that so many young women in this country are living disenfranchised, without proper employment, in terrible employment situations, and not enough is being done to help them. But do you know who is helping them? Is the Young Women's Trust. And I'm certainly prepared to donate some money and do some work to help them help those young women. I really hope that you will join me. It only costs £45 for one coaching session and that can seriously change your life. So please get behind the Young Women's Trust and do something to change the world today. If this government falls, all we'll see is that bearded Labour Gandalf driving his motorhome up Downing Street <laughs> on the threshold of ushering in a new era of women-only bakeries and the nationalisation of shoes. <laughs> Compared to that, having a government without any policies is a vital public service. Brexit is the new comedy play from Robert Kahn and Tom Selinsky. The Times called it hilarious and the Scotsman called it wonderful. It's coming back to the King's Head in Islington for four weeks from 11th of June. Go to kingsheadtheatre.com for tickets.